You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hi, everyone. And welcome to episode 409 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hello, Adam. How's it going? I'm tired. I was going to say, you seem tired. I'm tired struggling you had like a big old yawn right before we started the intro i did i did um it's okay recording this on a friday it's a very like rainy dark day around here in cleveland so that's understandable you're allowed to be sleepy um also all the lights were like on and off i was and gonna off. say <laughs> that's probably why the lights seemed even probably brighter than they normally because it's so dark outside yeah our um Normally on our area of the office, the majority of the lights are turned off above our desks. So, we like it that way. Yeah, we're like a bunch of gloomy nerds just sitting in the darkness. Um, but this morning, all the lights are on, and like it's so harsh because they're not ever on, and they're just office lights. So people who sit in an office all day with like very bright lights, we had that for like two minutes, and everyone was just like, the audacity. Yep, pretty how much. Dare. Pretty much. Um, so yeah, that's how this episode is. Uh, we did an interview, which was super cool. It was um, Andrea Barber, who you may not know her by her actress name, or maybe you do, but if you don't, uh, it's Kimmy Gibbler. Yeah. It was so much fun. Uh, she wrote a memoir called Full Circle, which is about her time between Full House and Fuller House, which is about to, later this year, it will be the end of, this, of the last season of Fuller House that's being released on Netflix. But she wrote a book about the in-between time, like the 20 or so years in between her two Hollywood times. There you go. Um, and so about what, what she did and her struggle with keeping her mental health like balanced and running and all sorts of really fun stuff. But just the conversation was so fun. It was. She was delightful. Yeah. it's We've talked to some authors that we've like grown up reading and, and everything, but I think it's different watching like, – Talking to, I literally watched Full House. Yeah. Every same. single day. Same. Um, the twins were born on my birthday. Oh, really? Well, I mean, the episode aired on my birthday. I don't know if their actual birthday is in the show mm-hmm. canon. <laughs> we'll have to but the episode was on my birthday. That's amazing. When the twins were born. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Um, but yeah, my wife, has. she started watching The Fuller House on Netflix when it first came out, so I watched it, so I've seen every episode of that. And it's just... Um, yeah, it was like, it was more, I feel like this was more surreal than any author I've, I can think of that we spoke to really. Yeah. Because like, like, I even said at one point, I was like, I'm having a hard time focusing because we're talking to you right now. Yes. And like in my mind, I kept thinking of Kimmy Gibbler and like some of her crazy outfits. Mm-hmm. She was like the original Luna Lovegood in terms of outfits and fashion. And so I just like kept thinking about that. Yeah. she And again, she was like, so nice and down to earth and just delightful. We talked for a really long time. It's a long interview. It was a long interview. So I was like, do you have like a hard stop? She's like, no, no, no. I'm good. Let's chat. She was um, super chill too, just to, like in general about scheduling. There was like a scheduling snafu we feel really bad about and she was just like it's fine yeah i was like i was so apologized like never happened before i was so apologetic and she's like it's fine it's all good yeah here here we are uh so yeah that was 
really, really fun. I think. And we got her to download Libby. We did, yeah. We, we told her what Libby is, and and I will say this part as so you don't have to. Um, she is a runner as well, and so I made Jill tell her about her book, and she said at the very end, I'll make sure it doesn't cut off. She said that she's going to download Libby, and the first thing she's going to borrow is your book. So We'll see. Yeah. Um, so that was really fun. Uh, if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? They can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. All of our social links are there. We are on Instagram and Twitter at ProBookNerds. You can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Yes, you can. We've got a bunch of people with a ton of interest on our reading challenge. So the 2020 Professional Book Nerds Reading Challenge, again, you can find that on all those locations as well. Um, For the people that sent us direct messages on Instagram asking for specific requests for specific stuff in the the, uh, challenge, that's awesome. That's cool. Uh, we're going to do episodes of it. Yes, we are. So we won't be able to get to all those individually. But um, yeah. And I don't know if you saw. I did. Okay. Somebody was doing um, the read two books in the sub- the same subject, one fiction, one nonfiction, and they used your book. They did. I was they like, did. brownie points. Yeah. Good job by them. JoJo Moyes was the other one. They picked her library. Yeah. The uh, Giver of Stars. That was a creative way of doing that. I wouldn't have thought that way. I would not have either, but it works. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else you think people should know about? I don't think so. I don't think so either. So won't waste any more time. I will let you guys enjoy our conversation with Andrea Barber on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hey everybody, it's Adam and Jill, and I am super excited to tell you that today's guest is Andrea Barber, who is a woman who has literally inspired millions of people around the world across multiple generations through her career. Andrea is perhaps best known for her famed character, Kimmy Gibbler, irritating Danny Tanner and charming the rest of us on the iconic show Full House and its Netflix extension Fuller House. Andrea has written a memoir titled Full Circle, which is available now, and it's absolutely delightful. Uh, It's not an exaggeration to say that Andrea and the entire Full House family was a massive part of both Jill and my lives growing up. So it's a little bit surreal and ridiculously exciting to say, Andrea, thank you for joining us today. Oh, that was such a nice intro. You're making me blush. Thank you so much. Oh, man. Okay, well, we're off to a good start then. We're off to the races. Yeah. So, um, Andrea, can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to Full Circle? Sure, yeah. Um, okay, well, Full Circle is my life story uh, up until, you know, my my 40, 43 years of life. <laughs> I have a lot more life to learn. But, um, no, it's my life story, and it, it, it's called Full Circle appropriately because it starts with my uh, career as a child actor in Hollywood, Um especially the years, my eight years on Full House um, and creating the character of Kimmy Gibbler. And then um, the end of the book talks about coming full circle as an adult, coming back into Hollywood and playing the exact same character as an adult. Um, but the meat of the, the book is really about the 20 years I took off um, when I sort of kind of disappeared off the face of the planet. <laughs> a lot of people were like, what happened to Kimmy Gibbler? Did she die? Or where, like, where did she go? She just sort of left after full house. Um, and a lot of people mistakenly assume I just didn't do anything for 20 years until um, I got the call to, to Fuller House um, five years ago. 
but that's actually not true. I did a lot in those 20 years. And so the book talks about um, my my very normal life of being a, a college student, a, a master's student, uh, getting married and having kids, um, but then also going through some very difficult dark times uh, in battling postpartum anxiety and depression, and really my lifelong battles with anxiety and mental health. Um, and that is a topic I'm very passionate about, and I, I feel very passionately that in order to overcome the stigma of mental illness, um, we need to be free and open to share our stories. And so this is this is me sharing all of me um, and all of my not secrets, but a lot of things that I've just never shared with the public before. Um, yeah, so that's that's the book in, in a nutshell. <laughs> it's, it's, it's honestly the most comfortable way for me to share my life with people is through writing. I've been a writer my entire life. Um, I got my, my, my degree in English literature, so I, I'm, I'm a little bit formally trained in this, but just I'm a writer at heart. And um, I'm far more comfortable with a pen in my hand than doing red carpet interviews <laughs> or any of the other things that most people are used to seeing me do in my job as an actor. Um, I'm much more comfortable and open by sharing myself through writing. And that, that's what I wanted to do with Full Circle. Um, so you, you mentioned about having a lot more life to live and, you know, joking about, you know, early on in the book, you, you make a joke about the fact that like memoirs are something that you thought people wrote at the end of your life. So, uh, I'm wondering what made you want to kind of look back and reflect on everything now at this point, you know, like maybe a quarter of the way through your life. <laughs> this is true. I, I always thought I would write my memoir when I was, you know, an 80-year-old woman reflecting back on the entirety of my life. But, um, no, I, I had a friend nudge me in this direction. She said, that's, that's great and all, but, you know, Andrea, you have the audience now with <laughs> the success of the show. You might want to write your story now while you have a lot of people willing to listen. And, um, you know, I feel grateful I have this incredible platform of, of being able to speak openly about mental health and, and about anything that's dear to my heart. And yeah, I have this incredible fan base thanks to Full House and the, the fans who, who grew up with me, like, like you guys, mm-hmm. um, who remained so loyal over the last 15 <laughs> years. Like we have the best fans in the world. And then all of the new fans that have emerged since Fuller House was created. Um, it's kind of, it's a very multi-generational show with, you know, parents, raising their kids on the same show that they grew up on back in the day. Um, so, yeah, I've got, I've got lots of great fans who, who are eager and willing to read my story, and I'm so, so grateful for that. And, and um, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to reach as many ears as possible with my story now, while I think it's relevant, while I think people can relate to it and maybe um, feel a little less alone if, if they're struggling in ways that I have struggled in the past and, and continue to struggle with <laughs> even to this day. Um, so that's why, that's why now I, I wrote, an, I'll write another one when I'm 80. <laughs> the sequel to Fuller House, uh, or the full, full Circle, Fuller Circle will be coming out there you go. in a, 2040 or whenever. <laughs> well, listen. So you have you'll, you'll have Fuller Circle, and then you guys. I I know that the the season you've already recorded the last season of Fuller House, but you left the door open for a fullest house. You got one more to go. And we are all crossing our fingers and hoping 
and that will happen. And we joke about it, you know, and we would joke about it with each other and with the executives at Warner Brothers. But um, I think I think it could very possibly happen, and you know, it's not going to happen right away. We have to be of the age where we could be, you know, potentially grandmothers <laughs> at some point um, in order to make it, you know, the, the fullest house with grandbabies in the house. But um, I would love to. We, we love we love the show. The cast is so close. We remain so close. And none of us wanted to see it end. It feels premature, and we have a lot more stories to tell. So, yeah, Candace, Jody, and I want really want to do a Golden Girls-style fullest house. Um yeah, it would just be, that would be so much fun. It would be appropriate, and it's never been done before. We were one of the first shows to do a reboot um, and, a, and a sequel to, to a series, and that, you know, sort of had a domino effect of all these other shows creating reboots. And um, maybe we'll do it again, a, a double reboot. We'll, we'll be the, the trailblazers then, too. I would love for that to happen. I mean, I'd watch it. Yeah, the, the Golden Girls idea, like, bo- when you said that, Jill and I both were obviously on the phone, you can't see us, like, our mouths opened in excitement. I am, I'm all in for that. <laughs> awesome. We've got at least two fans on board. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, as you, you know, you mentioned that a lot of the book and, and a lot of what you're using your platform for is to talk about mental health and learning to manage it with uh, Fuller House, and I mean, I imagine the last few years have been super hectic because of the show. Have you found any tips um, or tricks that you use on a day-to-day basis to keep your mind in a healthy state? Yeah, you know what I'm using a lot right now um, is, is a meditation app called Calm. And I used to use Headspace. That's also another really good one. But um, it's it's easy and it doesn't well it's not easy but it, it doesn't require a lot of time um, which is great if you're busy and on the go and you don't you're having trouble fitting in your workouts or, or therapy sessions or any of the other things that might be a little bit more time consuming um, I yeah I've been using an app and it's it's a practice so it it, it takes it takes uh, repetition and time to learn how to how to meditate and to quiet your mind and to focus on your breathing and it's even just something as simple as breathing like I didn't realize how much I hold my breath when I'm when I'm anxious um or like right before you know I had a I had a big meeting yesterday and I was nervous and I realized I'm like I've been holding my breath for a really long time <laughs> I'm going to take you know a few minutes here I'm going to take just a couple minutes before the meeting starts and and utilize some of these breathing techniques and I instantly felt better um so it sounds simple but it's it's a great way to kind of just refocus and take some time to empty your brain of all of the worries that have accumulated uh, through throughout the day. Um, so yeah, that, that's one that I'm using a lot right now. Um, and obviously, you know, there's other techniques that I talk about in the book, such as exercise. For me, yeah, it's been running, although I haven't been running a lot very recently, but <laughs> I hope to get back to it very soon. Um, and then, yeah, therapy. Gosh, I, I love therapy so much. It's just the best It's the best thing I've done for myself over the last 10 years is, is establish a good relationship with my therapist. And, um, yeah, I, I think everyone could benefit from therapy, whether they think they need it or not. Everybody could use some self-care and self-analysis and, um, you know, some some learning about ourselves and why we why we work the way we work. 
you mentioned the running aspect, and, and that's something um, kind of actually touched both of our lives a little bit. I will give Jill a plug because she would never do it to herself. Jill actually wrote a running memoir, and I'm also a distance runner. Um, Get her out, no way! <laughs> yeah. so cool. Jill, I want to read it. You're going to have to, what's, what's the title? Let's print that out. Give it a shout out here. I just put her on the spot. She's so irritated at me. Go ahead. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. Um, it is called Running with a Police Escort, and it is all about being a slow runner. So I am one of those people in the back of the pack um, coming oh, in last great, place. Sister. Yeah, coming in last place sometimes. So I, uh, yeah, I wrote a memoir about my experiences, how I got into running. Um, I hated it growing up, and then it was only when I was an adult that I was like, hey, this actually isn't terrible. So, uh, yeah, it came out um, three years ago at this point. Oh my gosh, that is awesome. I'm going to go download that as soon as we're done on the podcast here because that sounds like a book that's right up my alley and I'm right there with you at the back of the packer, you know? No yep. shame in that. No. You know, you're getting out there and you're getting it done and that's what's important. Yep. Congratulations. That's Thank so cool. you. So that was that was uh, twofold. One, I selfishly wanted to plug Jill's book to you, but also... <laughs> I am curious for you, because I feel like all of us who are in the kind of running tribe, running community, get different things out of it. So what is the part of running that you kind of enjoy most? Like, what do you find in your life? How does it kind of help balance you? Um, I guess it's the meditative aspect of it. I, I I don't know why I'm talking a lot about meditation today for some reason. That's the that's the topic on my mind. But um, I mean, there's a physical there's a physical release. There's the endorphins, which naturally will make you feel better, and just getting out there and moving your body um, makes you feel better physically and mentally. But I've discovered for me, um, yeah, it's 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 having time alone with my thoughts, and I. I'm, I'm a solo runner in a lot of ways. I love my friends. And I love the group aspect of running, like going on racecations, on, you know, race weekends and meeting up with friends. But on the day-to-day, I like running alone, um, which makes my boyfriend sad because, you know, he's a runner too, and he prefers running together. So we'll run together sometimes. <laughs> but when I really need, you know, when I really need the therapy of running, I have to do it alone. Um, and sometimes I'll listen to music and podcasts but um, if I really want to just, you know, feel the therapeutic benefits of running, I'll just I'll leave my headphones at home and just run without music and listen to the rhythm of my feet pounding on the pavement and listen to the sounds of whether it's birds in the sky or traffic going by. Um, just sort of being alone and feeling feeling my the rhythm the rhythm of my breath, um, and naturally letting thoughts pass through my head and there i don't know how to explain it to non-runners i know you guys will get it because you're runners <laughs> oh yeah right it's hard to explain about how the feeling the feeling you get when you finish a run especially like a nice long run um suddenly things that you were struggling with like uh life issues or you know a day-to-day stressor that you've feel felt stressed about it will suddenly things will suddenly become clear you, you get this mental clarity after a, a long run and um that's why i do it it's just to sort of have that time just for me and to reflect on my life and where i'm at and um yeah i don't know how to explain it <laughs> i'm not in trouble 
finding the words, but it just it just makes me me feel it just makes me feel better. And it, life doesn't seem quite so challenging after a run, um, and I never regret it. As much as sometimes it's hard to lace up in the morning and get out the door, and it's like, you know, I'd so much rather be doing other things, or I got time for this, or I just want to, you know, go back to bed. Um, I've never regretted going out for a run. Uh, and that's my, that might be the most important lesson mm-hmm. right there is just to go out and do it anyways and, and you'll always feel better. Yeah. So, I, I know, I'm just like, I just kind of want to talk about running. I know. No. <laughs> just kidding. Um, we won't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I love talking about running. That's great. But yeah, all the non-runners will be like, blah, blah. I know. <laughs> yeah. That won't be very exciting for them. Uh, you mentioned that you have been writing, you know, your whole life, but um, I imagine that writing this memoir is different than some of the other work that you've done, and certainly the other work that you're known for as an actress. What was your uh, favorite part about, you know, like creating this book? Oh man, I loved every part of it. It was um, my first introduction to the publishing world, so I learned a lot. You know, it was like <laughs> book writing one on one. There was just, there was so much I didn't know about how how to go about it and the steps that are involved uh, and how much time it takes. Um, it takes a it takes a long time to publish <laughs> a book. I realized it doesn't matter how fast you write it; it takes a while to publish it. Um, so I think I enjoyed that the educational aspect of it, just just learning about what it was like. But there were also. Um, you know, there were, there were time periods where I would write more than others. You know, there were some days where I would write very little or go, you know, a few weeks without writing anything. And then there were some days, um, especially on days like, like a spring break when my kids were with their dad, um, I would just hunker down and just write for hours and hours and hours. And those were the times when I wrote some of the more difficult chapters of my book, such as the divorce chapter um, and the chapters on anxiety. Uh, and it was it was really difficult, you know, to kind of go back to some places that I hadn't visited in a long time and um, think through the difficult times that I, I never really wanted to think through again. Um, it was difficult and challenging, but it was it was good to to analyze my life and, and you know sort of put all of these put all of these things to, to paper, put them into words, and put them onto paper, and kind of have this complete overview of of my life it was it was it was actually very therapeutic in a way too this is kind of the work you do in therapy but I was doing it all you know in a in a four-month period (laughs) writing out like everything in my life not just you know current struggles but everything that I've gone through um so I enjoyed that part of it um yeah it was it it was cool and exciting and scary and I loved Every minute of it. And it was great to, to start off with a memoir, too, because there's, there's nothing better than talking about yourself. I mean, like, you're the, you're, the, you're the expert about yourself, and so I figured, well, this is a topic I know a lot about because it's me. And so I think it was sort of an easy introduction into into authoring and, 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 and book writing. Um, yeah, it was very cool. The, the, the diffi- one of the difficult things was just figuring out how much to share um, and what to pull back on. Um, that was really the only super difficult part was that, you know, there's that line between oversharing and, and wanting, I wanted to give my readers 
a really honest look into my life, but I didn't want to violate the privacy of my children or my ex-husband. Um, so it was, it was a hard finding that balance, um, not wanting to, to violate anyone's privacy or overshare. Um, but I, I feel like I was very honest in the book. Um, I was very honest about myself and my own feelings and my own emotions regarding yeah, divorce and, and being a single mom and being so depressed I couldn't get out of bed. I was very honest about all of that, but I think I did it in a respectful way that my kids aren't embarrassed by it. My <laughs> ex-husband is still speaking to me, you know, who's not you know, embarrassed or angry about any of it. So I think I, I found that balance, and that's a big relief to me. Um, you mentioned, you know, when you're talking about running and sometimes not always wanting to go out, but then always feeling good after. And the same thing with, you know, sometimes it was challenging to kind of get in the headspace and write about the various things that you had to write about. I'm, I'm curious, when you got done writing those difficult chapters, did it feel almost um, kind of cathartic, like after a run does? Or is it something that you were just emotionally spent and drained and kind of regretted? <laughs> um, I didn't regret it, but I did feel emotionally drained. <laughs> I did feel... I just like, wow, I need to, I need to put this away for a bit. Like I need to not, I, I needed to not reread it right away or send it to my editor right away. I just kind of needed to sit with it for a little bit. So it, I mean, maybe a little of both. It was cathartic, but it was, it was very draining. Um, and yeah, I have, I have one, this is kind of a random segue, but I have one of those five year journals where you write every day just a couple of sentences about what you did that day mm-hmm. and I was I was rereading through that the other day and I, I came across that time period where I was writing mm-hmm. these difficult chapters and I, I just, just remember writing like holy crap that was hard and then <laughs> you know I just remember being in that headspace just yeah I just felt I felt spent um and yeah needed some time to kind of digest it and uh, before I could move on to the next chapter or the next practice uh, yeah, it was, it was it was hard. It was hard, but good. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I pushed myself. Um, I'm curious because, as you mentioned, you have an English background and having written a memoir now and and saying that you really enjoyed the process. Are you thinking about a next thing to write currently? I mean, I know you kind of like you're going through the whole publicity stuff for the last half of Fuller House and all that jazz. But like, are you right. po- pondering what to write next? Definitely. I, I definitely want to write more. I'm, I'm pondering what exactly that will be. Um, and yeah, you know what I, I'm leaning towards, and I might have mentioned this in the book, I can't remember, uh, but I, I would love to write um, books, fiction for younger kids, like the elementary school set or maybe even middle schoolers, um, because I get so many comments and direct messages every day from people saying how much they related to the character of Kimmy Gibbler growing up and how they felt different or weird and they felt, you know, silently shameful about that for many years growing up and how watching Kimmy Gibbler just be herself and and openly love herself and just own everything about herself really was inspiring to them and I think that's a great message for kids who are in those formative years where they're awkward and they're hitting puberty and they, you know, kind of don't know how to feel and what to feel. Um, I think I would be very interested. I don't know if I'm capable, but I would like to try to write some fiction for, for these for, for kids like that and, um, you know, create a, create a character, a fictional character, 
a literary character of, of somebody um, like Kimmy Gibbler, um, but do it, you know, in book form. I think that would be very, very cool. So I, I'm, I'm still pondering. I don't know what will, will become of it, but um, I would definitely love to do something like that in the future. I was just thinking, and I remember the the show that was growing, that was when, like, we were all young, that uh, the Magic School Bus thing with Miss Frizzle. I, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. so I don't know how your contract works if you're allowed <laughs> to use the Kimmy Gibbler name, but I feel like a like a Miss Gibbler, like, type of a, of a character, I, I feel like there's something there, whether it's magical or not. I feel like if you can work with the people, I, you guys seem to have an amazing relationship with all the showrunners and everything. If you can, like, get access to the, you know, the IP, like, I feel like there's something there for you. <laughs> That is such a cool idea. Like, instead of Mrs. Piggle Wiggle, yeah, Mrs. Gibbler. Um, I think that's so cool. Yeah, I don't I don't know the laws regarding, you know, <laughs> copyright and trademark, and I don't know if I could use the Gibbler name, but maybe it could be, like, Mrs. Fibbler or something <laughs> very similar, but without actually using the Gibbler name. I, I think you're on to something there. Oh, man. Mrs. Fibbler. Mrs. Fibbler is great. I love that. <laughs> Ah, um, so one thing that struck me about your story was, like, the normalcy your parents helped instill. You never seemed, like, pressured into doing things by your parents, and you attended school when you were, um, and, like, it just, you didn't seem to be too aware of the massive heights that the show was reaching. You just had this very sort of grounded understanding, and I have to imagine that was pivotal and how you turned out as an adult yeah I think you're right um it it was pivotal uh and I give all credit to my parents you know they always treated acting as a hobby never as a career or as a money-making endeavor for me or my brothers my brothers were child actors too for a short bit before they um decided they didn't want to do it anymore and so they retired early on um but yeah, we, my parents always thought of it. It's kind of like, you know, my son, Kate, you know, he played soccer for many, 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 many years. And then suddenly one day he was like, I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. And he took a couple years off and now he plays basketball. So it's, it was kind of like that. You know, my parents treated it like an after school sport that you do it as long as you're, it's rewarding and you're getting something out of it. And it's um, a positive experience. But if, if it, it's not a positive experience, then. You don't have to do it anymore. Um, and, yeah, that was great. My life was not based in Hollywood. My, my life was based in Whittier, California, which is a small town in Southern California. And that's where my friends were, and that's where my family was, and that's where our lives were centered, was in Whittier, not in Hollywood. So I didn't go to Hollywood parties or, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't in that culture. Um, and I think that kept, kept me very grounded because, I, I naturally gravitated towards my friends in public high school and towards school dances and, you know, just very normal kid activities. I wasn't very impressed by the Hollywood scene for, for whatever reason. Um, and, you know, life was different back then in the 90s, too. We didn't have social media or Instagram or, you know, we didn't even really have that many red carpets like we do now. So fame and celebrity were different concept back then I think um I don't know what it would be like growing up as a child actor now with um with 
social media and, you know, popularity on social media and your following and your likes and your brand. And I don't know, um, I don't, like, I can't even wrap my mind around that. It's hard, it's hard as an adult. I can't imagine, um, navigating that as a kid. So, um, yeah, I, I knew the show was popular because the Nielsen ratings told us that the show was popular. <laughs> But we didn't have likes or, you know, whatever. You know, We didn't have all of that to tell us. You know, we didn't have millions and millions of followers to tell us that the show was popular. We just had Nielsen ratings. So um, that sort of emotionally kept me distanced from knowing just how popular the show had become. Um, and I would get recognized in public, so, you know, I wasn't totally unaware that the yeah. show was popular. Um, I would get recognized in public, and especially when we would go places together, the cast or Jody, Candace, and I, um, when we would go places together, then we would definitely get recognized and um, not mobbed, but we would get swarmed by, you know, people. Once one person notices you and asks for a photo, then everybody <laughs> kind of comes over and wants to ask for a photo. Um, but, yeah, I was never impressed by that I never felt like oh you know I want to be a bigger celebrity and I want more I was just like no I I just you know want to I want to go to the basketball game at high, at high school with my friends and I want to go to my winter formal with my boyfriend you know I was that was the stuff that I gravitated to and yeah that's that's all because of my parents they they were great they were they I, I still had chores I still had to clean my room I still had to you know do my dishes and I would um, I never had I never had access to my money either. Uh, my parents put it away into a trust fund that I wasn't allowed to touch until I was 18 years old. So I didn't have a concept of of the money I was making as well. Um, you know, the way I would make money is by washing my dad's car, and I would get five dollars for that. And so that's how I made money in order to buy things. Um, so it was just a very a very normal way to grow up. And then I had this acting thing that I did too. Uh, that's really how we approached it. And I think that has had a huge influence on me now because I still just, you know, I, I live in Orange County, which is you know, several miles outside of LA. And I prefer, I'm a homebody. I like to stay at home and read books or watch, net, watch Netflix. And, you know, like, um, I got an invitation to go to a Golden Globes party last weekend, and I was like, nope, I'm going <laughs> to stay right here on my couch, and I don't want to get dressed up, I don't want to do makeup, I don't want to do a red carpet, I don't want to take pictures, um, I just want to stay here at home with my family and cook dinner and watch the Golden Globes from my couch, that's <laughs> where I'm much more comfortable, so that's just me, I'm an introverted person, and I've learned to embrace it, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's that's just me. Um, so as kind of coming full circle from Full House and using the term of the name of your book, like, you know, having done the, the final, you know, shooting and everything for Fuller House and again with the, the last half of the last season coming up uh, later this year, I, I guess like what, mo- what excites you most about the future? Uh, you mean post Fuller House or about wrapping up Wrapping up the show. Yeah, post Fuller House. I kind of just like, what is it that, you know, whether it's more writing or exploring new things, like what are you most excited about kind of looking beyond the show? Oh, well, I'm terrified. It's not excitement right now. It's sort of of terrifying. I'm just like, 
I'm still mourning the the end of the show, to be honest. Like, it's it's finally starting to hit me. It's been a couple months since we wrapped production. Um, and I know Candace and Jody are kind of feeling the same thing because it's the new year, and normally we would be, you know, we would be getting an announcement about a pickup for another season right about now, and then we would be gearing up for another season. So um, now is when it's kind of hitting us that we're not going back to stage 24 at Warner Brothers this year. Um, so I'm still processing those emotions, um, and I'm still figuring out what I want to do. You know, I, I would love to remain in the business as long as it's for the right reasons and for um, if, if I could find another great show to do, like Fuller House, where, um, you know, it's, it's good people and good producers and good writing, I would love to stay in the business. Uh, but I also know from my 20 years outside of Hollywood that I would be perfectly happy if I left the business again, too, and did something uh, normal. <laughs> again, a very normal career. So I'm kind of just figuring it out. Um, you know, we'll see. I, I think I'll give Hollywood another chance and see if I can, I can, you know, maintain a career in Hollywood for a couple of years. And if that doesn't work out, um, I, I will figure it out, you know, do something like writing or working and study abroad like I did um, in my 20s, mm -hmm. which was very fulfilling, working with students. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm figuring it all out. We'll see. Stay <laughs> tuned. <laughs> Um, okay, I have, I have one last question for you. It's not at all related to anything, but so normally, if like if we talk to like a fantasy writer, for example, we always ask if they could write a story in someone else's world. What would it be? But since you are an actor and have experience, I'm curious if you could pick a different character from like a different television show, and it could be one from the '90s or one from now, and like you could play a character in any other television show. What would you pick? Oh man. You know, I gravitate towards those offbeat characters just naturally, like Phoebe Buffay from Friends or um, Amy Farrah Fowler from The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> I love those characters. I know I'm biased, but I love those characters. Um, you know, for a long time, I when I was a kid, I was like, man, I wish I could just, you know, play a normal character and wear, like, cute clothes, normal clothes. But now I embrace it. I'm just like, I love those offbeat characters. So... Um, I would want to live in those worlds for a while. I'm going to pick Phoebe from Friends because it's such a classic show. Um, if I wish they would do a reboot, man, that that would just be awesome. <laughs> but um, yeah, I would say Phoebe. I would say Phoebe Buffet. Let's keep it light. We'll keep it lighthearted and, <laughs> and stick with sitcoms and comedy. I'm not going to go dark like Handmaid's Tale or anything like that. Um, I'll stick with with Friends. <laughs> yeah, I. I feel like mine would be Corey Matthews from Boy Meets World, but I also think that's because I grew up having a crush on Topanga, so I don't know if it's that I want to play him so much as I would want to date Topanga, so I don't know if that counts. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I don't even know. I have to think about it. I know. I, this is, I, th I spend way too much time thinking about this type of thing. I'm not proud of it. Um, okay, last question from it's you. It's fun to think about. <laughs> um, what do you hope readers take away from reading your book? Uh... I hope that readers of my book will be inspired to share their own stories openly. Uh, and that doesn't mean, you know, automatically publishing your own memoir, although I encourage that. I love memoirs. I, I, I'm reading a ton of memoirs. <laughs> you know, I read a lot in, in, in developing this book, but even now I'm just like, oh, I love reading other people's stories. Um, but I hope people are 
I hope people feel um, left alone, and I hope people feel like they are able to share their own struggles of what they are going through, and whether that's sharing that with friends or family members or, um, you know, creating a blog and, and sharing it openly on a blog or a Facebook post or, you know, whatever it is, just I think, I think once you finally start talking about the things you've been through is when everything kind of starts to make sense and you no longer feel shameful about it or bad about it. You no longer feel bad about yourself. You just accept it and feel that, you know, it's, it's normal. It's not shameful. It's, it's just part of the human experience is going through depression, anxiety, whatever, whatever struggle it is. Um, it's okay. And it's not a bad thing. It's just a human thing. And so I hope that I hope to create a community of, of sharing where people are open and, um, you know, that that's how we can all heal is by realizing we're all part of the same tribe and we're all going through similar things. And by talking about it is how we, we begin to heal and grow from it. That is beyond perfect. <laughs> I, Andrea, this, the, your book is so wonderful, and this was just an exceptionally fun and admittedly surreal yes. experience. Thank you so much Aww. for joining us today. You guys, this has been great. It's been so great getting to know you and more and more about your podcast and, and Libby. I'm going to go download that right now. That sounds awesome. Excellent. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Anne Marie Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. 